Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Tim on Oscar night. Yeah, um, so of think, course. I don't think we're allowed to say Oscar, so I'm just gonna say it. The big um, game. <laughs> the Super Bowl. Yes, yes. Super Bowl Sunday. It is the Super Bowl of film. Uh, I believe Carrie Mulligan uh, is has kicked it off. That's good. Um, it's good they gave her a second shot. God, I you know I really don't give a fuck about the Oscars. I I only know they're happening because uh, a mutual friend texted us. Which, I, I yeah like I I'm not waiting for an Oscar to get mailed to me for you know my lifetime achievement awards. I'm like nah, I don't think it affects me. Yeah, that's the problem because like when it's Oscar night, like the group text gets really annoying and busy, and Twitter gets really just clotted up with it gets dumb really bullshit. extra. Yeah, it's like I don't give a shit about any of this shit. This is a this is an anti Academy Awards podcast, right? And to that end, um, we're talking about a movie that's... That did deserve to sweep the Academy. That's exactly right. We're yes. talking about a movie that went, won um, sweep it out Oscars, into the street, including Best Picture. Uh-huh. Uh, Tim, do you want to tell us what we're talking about? Should I just start with uh, Tursitana's Amazing Rack and then just work backwards from there? I mean, that's the major attraction, isn't it? Both of them are. I almost said Zatanna. She also has amazing tits. Oh man, can you character. imagine if Taurus Satana played Zatanna? I... <laughs> Tim would never stop jerking off. I'm gonna be right back. <laughs> it's perfect casting. It uh, really is. Yeah. And it's I mean, this episode could have gone in a couple of ways. We could have talked about um because Taurus Satana is a is a force unto herself. Mm-hmm. Uh you probably know her you probably know her as the um, antagonist from Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill, uh, Marla. From, yeah, from Roger Corman. Um, you might Not know, Corman. huh? Not Corman. From who? Uh, it's the big titty movie, Tim. Who's the big titty director? Oh fuck! Yeah, I forgot. Um, give me a second. I'm, I'm bl- uh, you know, I I may, I uh I caught you in an error, and now I can't remember the guy's name. The guy's name is, uh, geez, Tits McGee. What the fuck is that guy's name? <laughs> Ernest T. Bass. Yes. Saul Bellows. Russell. Meyer. Russ Meyer. Russ Meyer. Wow, I... we're really stupid. You want to start over? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can just cut that all out entirely. Thank you. Because uh... nothing, because that's the thing is, um, it's really infuriating when you're listening to a podcast and, you know, because of the general quality of research that you get on the average podcast, there is going to be a point where the post, where the hosts are like, oh God, yeah, um, that movie, like, uh, what's it called? Uh, you know, that fuck movie with, uh, Kurt yeah. Douglas and, and you're like, you are screaming as loud as you can. Ace in the hole. It's called fucking Ace in the hole. You fucking idiot. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, 
Yeah, I, I called that out like last time when I couldn't remember the name of someone. Where I'm like, listener, you already know what their name is. I forgot him. Um, or, you know, actually, like, who am I kidding? It's not going to be like, it's not going to be some like classic movie that maybe like the average person wouldn't know about. It's going to be like, it's, somebody is going to say something like, oh, you, dude, what's that movie called? You know, the one with the dinosaurs in it? And you're at home and you're yelling, Jurassic Park. You're like, Jurassic Dinosaurus. Dinosaurus. Park. Yeah. Jurassic Park! And they're like, and oh, then, Jurassic World. Yes. Sorry. They're like, oh, yeah, it's got, like, Jeff Goldblum in it, and then, like, Sam Neill, and, like, uh, the, fly? You know, the chick who was in Inland Empire, because I can remember Inland Empire, but I can't remember Jurassic Park. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, our stupid brains. Um, anyway. Yeah. Stupid. So, stupid. Yeah. Right. Uh, the antagonist from uh, uh, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill uh, from uh, director of... Uh, and uh, large bosom enthusiast Russ Meyer, <laughs> from from uh, director and paraphiliac. Yes, Russ Meyer. <laughs> you know, you you direct your passion. That's the lesson that really we want to get from this episode. So yeah, it's we aren't talking about Russ Meyer or um, you know faster pussycat. Uh, we aren't talking about uh, the uh, well. I guess this is sort of this is a podcast about intersectionality. You know, Tura being the the <laughs> the glue that you know joins you know Meyer and uh, Ted V Michaels and a lot of uh, trash cinema that we are for some reason particularly interested in. So we're we're so we're starting that with Astro Zombies that we only know about because of riff tracks. The Astro Zombies. Yes, the Astro Zombies. I forget that it's like the Avalanches. You can't just say Avalanches. The That's Beatles. True. You know. I was going to say that first, but I couldn't remember their name. I like Beatles. <laughs> uh, a Beatles? I just Is think it's funny like? to say, yeah, I like Beatles. I like Beatles, yeah. I knew a girl in high school who was always like, oh, oh, you know Rem? I really like Rem. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I also like R-E-M. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, but um, this was many years before Rem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Astro zombies. Yeah, yeah. What, Tim. Um, well, you know, I was gonna ask you, what is what's the Astro zombies about? Um, are we gonna do another one of those episodes? <laughs> well, would it be worth our time? Because the thing was, I put this movie on today. To I've seen it a million times, like mm-hmm. the Rift Tracks version. Um, by the way, if you try to watch it without any riffing, it's pretty punishing. Um, yeah. It's a lot just, of, it's a lot of filler in this one. <laughs> yeah, it just goes from place to place. I mean, you know, what it's kind of a, a sign of a of a movie that is stretched perhaps too thin when they put like a musical interlude in this. And, and for this, yep. it is um, you know, there's that extended um, you know, laughing bongo interpretive dance whatever scene laugh in esque, I guess. Oh, but I like that part. Right. Well, it's because you get to see titties for no reason, and Jen's yeah, like check. The- yeah. That's the titty part of the movie. Yeah. yeah, so anyway, I was like I was saying I I put this movie on earlier and I was like, okay, well, I've seen it a million times. Rift, I'm going to just really pay attention to the dialogue and like, yeah, what's gonna... going on with the plot to try to make sense of it. And then I literally gave up 10 minutes in. Right. Cuz it doesn't it doesn't it, matter. It, it is yeah, it is it is loosely centered around um the uh, there's a mad scientist who found a way to make a zombie that is actually a cyborg, 
but they've referred to it as a quasi-man because no one can get their terminology straight. I mean, what is even the point? Yeah, and this all grew out of an experiment having to do with um, sort of uh, extrasensory perception through um, radio frequencies, which is so adorably quaint. <laughs> you know, it, uh, conspiracy theories adapt to fit the current technology. That's, you know... Yeah, because, what, yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's not like RF isn't still used today. It's still pervasive. I mean, even like, you know... Your, yeah, it's, it's just not exciting and new. You know, you yeah, gotta go to your, the internet. Yeah, even your remote control uses it, and, you know, obviously yeah. there's still radio, even though it's kind of like a shrinking format. But, um, you know, just the... Like, any technology that was the kind of thing that you could build in your garage with, like, transistors, like, entirely analog parts. Yeah, like a home seems, computer or something. I don't know. Seems extremely quaint at this yeah. point. But, yeah, or even building, a, uh, like they mentioned in Rift Tracks, to build, you know, RF uh, frequency modulator from what's lying around in a hotel room. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's yeah. magic. It doesn't matter. To detect the mad scientist lab. Yes. Whereas nowadays they would find it on Google Earth. Am I right? <laughs> hey, yeah. They would probably use a drone, huh? Kids these days. That's funny because yeah. things from then aren't like things from now. Right. Uh, <laughs> someday they'll change what it is and you won't be with it anymore. Um, I was never with it, Tim. You know that. <laughs> I know. You listen to Rush. So <laughs> That's because I'm cool. <laughs> I uh, were. Let's go. Speaking with of people who fuck around with ham radio and do nerdy shit. Yeah. Oh man. One of these days, I'm gonna get my license. I just can't really justify it right now. <laughs> and then, then, then we'll move to an entirely ham radio format for the show. <laughs> yeah. Ham will live on. Um. Yeah. So it is ostensibly a Doctor Frankenstein story, but we've got like, um, you know, Chinese subversives involved, kind of. Is There's it like, China? I couldn't figure out like what the fuck country the main is. I, I guess it could have. Well, I guess it could be Japanese because you know, as they refer to her, uh, refer to Tura in the Rift tracks, you know, mean Mrs. Maybe Asian lady. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my head went directly to China because you know, at that point we haven't had you know the U.S. hasn't had an antagonistic relationship with Japan. That seems kind of out of left field. Um, <laughs> it's although uh, that's. Yeah. That's kind of hack. It's really old at this point. Right. Anyway. Uh, this is, um. I mean, this is Cold War type stuff that right. we're talking about. So it's it's the Chinese. And I know like- Well, yeah, you know, it's got to be. We're kind of trying to start up Cold War II right now. So once again, the, the Chinese are our antagonists. But... Yeah. yeah, we've got our Soros check to make sure that we're uh, <laughs> doing our part to raise propaganda. Well, I mean- I'm going to be know... like LeBron James and just talk about how great China is. I don't know. Right. Uh, well, one of the things, too, is that one of her goons is, you know, clearly, you know, some kind of like Russian mob enforcer. And then, you know, and she's also hanging out with a guy named Juan. I don't know how Juan fits into this, although Juan is the most depraved of the trio. But anyway, so we have a mad scientist who's developing these astro zombies. And by zombie, I mean uh, undead cyborg who... Um, Government researchers are trying to find because he's doing a piss poor job and he's letting uh, rogue astro zombies go out and, you know, murder and attack women. Um, and uh, meanwhile, uh, the government, the shadow government that Teresa Tana's character works for, 
must have that technology because it's not like there's a billion disposable Chinese people <laughs> that like their government's willing to just like throw into a meat grinder for no reason. Like we we need one that costs way more than you know your average peasant. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like this wasn't entirely thought through. That's that's not the important thing. The important thing is that Teresatana had a uh, costume director who provided some lavish outfits, and there's also some other stuff in it. And you know they got John Carradine because I guess you know he was wandering around the neighborhood and they sort of corralled him into someone's basement to do a couple of lines. And really, an actor who could do this kind of thing asleep. And, like it's, and it seems that way, yeah. Yeah, um, he, can, he can and does put no effort into it. He does have that sonorous voice. Yes, he does. <laughs> you, I mean, you know. Nitro Yeah, many of our listeners probably would have been introduced to him through Red Zone Cuba, which is also a classic, you know, its own. So welcome or to any our of the, Mystery any Science of the, Theater podcast. Or any of the 400 other movies he was in, because John Carradine was in a lot of movies. Yeah, like every movie that he appeared in, did he like age a decade? <laughs> it was kind of a reverse Dorian Gray deal. Mm-hmm. Where like, um, you know, he, like he just kept getting like hideous and older and pictures of him just stayed exactly the same. It was a real shitty deal. Yeah, because, I mean, that's kind of how pictures normally work. Like, you never age in the picture, and you do continue to get old. Like, that's just the way time works. I, I don't know what to tell Man, you. Like, uh, and John Carradine, like, having had such a long career, and not just that, but having spawned, like, an entire showbiz family. Mm-hmm. Um, God, he was in fucking Stagecoach. He was in Grapes of Wrath. Well, like, I mean, he yeah, in... he's almost typecast being in Grapes of Wrath. Like I I knew like I knew him from like a lot of his schlock pictures, but um, mm-hmm. you know if you watch like some kind of like classic Hollywood era films, you you might spot him. One of them was uh, Blood and Sand with uh, Tyrone Power, mm-hmm. and you know that movie was made in like 1939 or something. It's 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 yeah. He was only in his fifties then. Yeah. <laughs> He still looks old. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's you because know, he was born in 1906. Yeah, you know how they say, like, you know, movie stars never age? It's like, it's true. John Carradine aged up until he was 65, and then he just stopped. Yeah. He remained 65 for 40 years. Yeah, and then he lived to be 356 years old somehow. Yeah, how do you get that kind of power? I would love to know. The power. The power. The power. The power. The power. Um... God, he was in. God, he was in so much sh- just shit. Right. Um, yeah. So we didn't lead with that. We're we're leading with like the intersection of you know Turzatana as this um, you know just badass chick you wouldn't want to mess with. She's trouble, fellas. Um, there's you know the director Ted V. Michaels who is a uh, who is an unusual character unto himself. There's John, yeah, there's John Carradine, who's been in movies since before movies even existed. <laughs> he was driving the train in The Great Train Robbery. <laughs> he, he was working behind the camera with the Lumiere brothers. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it's them and, you know, Mystery Science Theater. Uh, it's, it's all those things that we, 
like and may not necessarily know about. Yeah. Now, um, I guess we can talk a little bit about uh, Ted V. Michaels. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting guy. Um, made yes. uh, made several uh, schlock quote unquote classics. Uh, not not um, in addition to Astro Zombies, he also did movies like uh, The Corpse Grinders. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girl in gold boots. I, I know that one well. Oh yeah. Um, Got Gus so, the Icky Elf. Yes. Uh, he also made movies like uh, Doctor Sex, uh, which was my uh, uh, nom de plume on AOL back now. Then. Now is that a medical doctor of sex or a fake doctor of sex? Uh, it's a doctorate of sex. He has a PhD oh, okay. in sex. I Sexology. Think that- I think Ted Michaels actually did have a PhD in sex because um, he was married, um, started off as, uh, I think, like a stage performer. That is a um, tough you know, thesis to defend, I got to say. <laughs> um, you know, he had um, he was a stage performer. He had like a magic act. Uh, he got married, had six kids, um, started working in Hollywood. That'll get um, you at least a master's in sex anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was master, all right. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of g- dipped his toe into the industry a little, working in you know, kind of like different crew positions in and, a sexual and stuff way, like yeah. That. And then at um, during the '60s, which was a good time to do this kind of thing, uh, he split up with his wife, bought a house, made up to look like a castle, and then started living with a just kind of like never ending um a menagerie call it. yeah a harem? Like he, yeah he basically had a harem like he lived with multiple women at once and you know put them in his movies and and uh cooked them dinner and uh you know gave them a place to live um you know i'm sure entirely out of the goodness of his heart expecting nothing in return you know anton um, lavey is like i got to do that like like I said, a very interesting guy. There's a documentary about him on the only good streaming service to be called The Wild World of Ted V. Michaels. Um, Ted himself is interviewed it, as well as uh, Tura Satana and many of the other people who worked with him. Um, what's your name from the Doll Squad, who seems like someone Tim would like a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know. I guess she looks like she's got a violent hair trigger. <laughs> this one is completely unhinged, and Tim's like, "All right, yeah, I'm I'm on yes. board with that." Um, so yeah, uh, Ted Michaels uh, lived quite an interesting life. Uh, passed away in uh, 2016 at the age of 87. That yeah, that is a a life lived. That is a rich full life. I gotta say. I'll say, like, you got your castle full of bitches. I mean, apparently it was he was mortgaged up to the eyeballs because he just kept trying to make movies. Well, which, yeah, you know, there's a problem. Yeah, respect. You don't want to do that. Like, obviously he loved the medium so much that he just, you know, he didn't want to stop. He just had to keep making movies. Um, yeah, a degenerate gambler, he, if you will. I feel like he... um. You know, as a lot of people will develop a skill and get better as they do it over the years. I it, like Ted seems to have plateaued. Well, yeah, maybe filmmaking isn't really his skill. <laughs> it is, you know, it's butts and seats. Like that's his skill. Yeah, and that's the other thing is that his movies apparently made a shitload of money. At yeah. least the early ones, like um. Yeah, you know, on like a budget of fuck all too. 
Yeah. And um, I'm not entirely sure how they tricked people into watching these movies. But... Well, like they mentioned in the documentary, it's, you know, it's the same kind of William Castle showmanship because, you know, he isn't, he's, yes, he directs movies, but he is a showman first. Like he's a mm-hmm. performer. And a lot of that I th- want to say is learned, you know, from his, you know, stage magic. Um, I don't want to say upbringing, but like, you know, early career where it's like, he learns to put on a show. He learns to, you know, dazzle people with spectacle. And, you know, even when he's talking about how we'd film his early act, it's like, well, he can't just put, you know, a camera, you know, up in the proscenium because then, like, you miss all the details about what makes this interesting. So, like, already he knows how to, like, hold people's attention. Um, so kind of starting from that as as the jumping off point, it isn't that he's making great movies or even competent ones is that he's he's really selling people an experience and you know the willing castle thing like that willing castle would be known for like um the tingler um and other movies that i can't think of but they were all gimmicky and mm-hmm. these gimmicks are what made what caught people's attention and so you know he's talking about you know when he would do a um a, you know a triple feature of some of his you know crummy movies and you know like you know, people would have to, you know, sign a waiver in order to see them, and they'd have, you know, an ambulance parked out front with like the lights going, and like it, it sells people on an experience. It's you know, kind of, um, you know, an alternate reality game before you know such terms existed, where it isn't just you go in and you you know sit down and watch a movie. It's you know, it's this whole experience. What was what was it that? The Cine family said that Dogtooth was a combination of it was Antichrist and something else. Uh, a blank sheet of paper, maybe, because Dogtooth <laughs> no, is not said... a good movie. <laughs> they said, um, they said in their circular, this movie's a combination of Antichrist and some other movie that you and I fucking love. And so we were like, we've got to go see this fucking movie. And then, um, uh, write in if you can explain this one to me because, you know... I mean, subtracting one thing from another is sort of a combination, I guess. We just didn't... We just didn't vibe with it at all, but the important no, thing Doc is Tooth that... No, Dogtooth sucks. Sorry. Yeah, the important thing is that Cinefamily got our money, which yes. we then immediately squandered. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> more on that later. Um, uh. But yeah, like, it's you just get the butts in the seats. It's like the uh, the scary VHS boxes in the video store. It doesn't matter if the movie is The Last Slumber Party. Like yeah, but I mean, if that, you're like, yeah. hey, maybe there are tits in this. I don't know. Yeah, you know, if the box art has, you know, like a uh, an electric guitar with a drill on it, you're like, I'm watching that. I don't even care what this is about. <laughs> it, when it, yeah, by the time you watch it, you're too. it's too late. <laughs> yeah, exactly. More fool you. Um, yeah. I, I got to say, though, like, Anything with Taurus Satana in it is, mm-hmm. you'll at least have something to look at. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, she was she was great. Just you know, raw misanthropic energy and uh, you know, faster pussycat. And then already, like she has a particular look. I mean, you know, she um, she's like part um, like part Asian and part Latino. Her father was, uh, I think, a Japanese national of um, Filipino extraction, Mm -hmm. and her mom was had Native American and Scots Irish ancestry. So even better, yeah, yeah. But yeah, put that all together, and she has a very distinctive look. And I don't know how 
you combine those three races to get just an incredible pair of tits, but that's <laughs> that's the secret combination. Yeah, and um, she speaks pretty frankly about it too because she's, she, you know, if you look at interviews with her, she's like, yeah, you know, like uh, a- people didn't expect uh, Asians to be built like I was. <laughs> <laughs> Tura ain't nobody built like you are. Um, um, talk about, and you know, her life was like as interesting, if not more than Ted Michaels. Um, when she was young, uh, she was born in 1938, and as a result... Um, Good time for an Asian-American in the United States. That's exactly right. She and her family were actually, um, they were, inter- they were uh, interned at the Manzanar camp in Lone Pine. And it wasn't um, even a paid internment. That's the worst thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think they paid any of those people. Yeah, wait a minute. Fuck you, FDR. Anyway, um, so you have that, which is understandably like a pretty traumatic thing for a family to do. Um, and then when she was 10 years old, she was gang raped by five teenagers. Yeah, which isn't good at any age, really. No. Um, let, alone, and, let alone in the midst of childhood. Yeah, and, and this does appear to have somewhat formed her on-screen persona because, again, if you... Um, yeah, that would change my on-screen and off-screen persona, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and again, if you look at interviews that she's given, you know, she basically, she, you know, she says that she pretty much cultivated this, you know, like the way that her personality was just as like a self-defense mechanism, like her whole mean was just don't fucking touch me yeah and as a an exotic dancer which is also the type i'm into uh exactly right <laughs> profoundly traumatized women right yeah yeah uh no go Sad on but really. as an exotic but, um, dancer yeah <laughs> ladies if you're listening and if you are fucked in the head <laughs> uh write to us at info at have you seen dot us yeah um, send us a letter a handwritten Self-stamped yeah. envelope. Perhaps something uh, written in your own blood. Yeah, uh, doesn't have to be menstrual, but you know. Yeah, menstrual um... or otherwise, we don't <laughs> <laughs> we don't judge. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Tura, because she, uh, you know, was a very, she had a very arresting presence. Uh, went on to a career as an exotic dancer. Um, she, and you know, if you are. A woman working in that particular industry, you often have to deal with, you know, drunks and, you know, handsy people. Um, she told a story about how uh, she was performing one night and some woman in the audience picked up like a, a heavy crystal ashtray and just hucked it at her. Which, and, I mean, what is that lady's problem? That's what I want to know. That's it. She just, uh, I think someone was a little jealous. Yeah. Um. But for whatever reason... Some flat-chested woman threw an ashtray at her. <laughs> Some jealous wife who got she, dragged to the show as part of the plot to the Astro the Zombies. The Astro Zombies. But yeah, so, um, you know, this this woman flings an ashtray at her. Um, now, uh, Tura, probably having some form of complex PTSD, reacts hair trigger and, you know, says, like, I had this woman up against the wall and, like half second yeah. and then the security guard came to break it up and you know was stupid enough to put his hands on Tura Satana who then knocked him as she put it across the room 
Um, this was not a woman that you fuck with. Right. And on top of that... Uh, so then to see her in a Russ Meyer movie, you're like, she isn't even acting. Like, she, he brought her yes. on because, like, this is what you get. Yeah, like, just pure rage <laughs> in a low-cut talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Which is exciting. I mean, I'm not... So. Yeah, I'm not saying... <laughs> This isn't to justify, hey, you know what? We should traumatize a 10-year-old for going on, you know, like a decade or two and then put her in a movie because we're going to get some really good casting. Like, that's a little too method even for me. Yeah, but, you know, it's like her... I believe that her uh, personal history, like, really formed her, her on-screen persona because, you know, even though she didn't exactly go on to the most brilliant career, she did have, like, these kind of indelible roles and once you've seen her you will never ever forget her um, yeah it's uh fuck. it's like what's his name the, the guy who was in four oscar winning movies and then died oh um john cassell yes thank you yes. Yeah, there you go yeah why didn't he do more meryl streep's boyfriend oh well yeah. lucky merle yeah speaking of trauma um and another interesting tidbit about Teresa Tana, if uh, Pamela DeBar is to be believed, uh, Pamela DeBar, of course, being the queen of the groupies, um, she has a memoir called Let's Spend the Night Together, in which she interviews Teresa Tana. And in that book, we learn that Tura was the woman who taught Elvis Presley how to eat pussy. <laughs> well, that's, she's multi-talented. Good for mm -hmm. her. And he liked her so much, he wanted to marry her. Um, she declined to marry him but she kept the ring absolutely i mean yeah that's <laughs> yeah see jen these these are the kind of role models that you need more of in your life that's exactly right so I, um, yeah because i know this is the kind of like you know slightly unhinged bad bitch that you aspire to be yeah i mean if only she's yeah she's a goddess she's uh you know like i said like not um was not in I mean, apart from Faster Pussycat, which is, like, a Grindhouse classic, she was mm -hmm. in a lot of really pretty, you know, pretty dismal films. But, you again, her trash. presence is so yeah. indelible that, you know, it's like her, her legacy is pretty much assured. Right, yeah. So, yeah, similarly, like... I don't know. The only other like you know burlesque name that I can point to, it's like we don't see you know Dita Von Teese in a lot of films, but I mean she still has like a presence unto herself. Oh man, and she also fucked Harold Lloyd. Dita Von Teese? He must have been ancient. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Dita is ageless. Right, that's true. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, if if yeah, if if people are coming up, you know, directors and famous people saying, yeah, I want a piece of that. Well, Harold Lloyd apparently liked to photograph, like David Lynch, he liked to photograph nude women. I don't think that that's really unique among... Um, it's not. To David Lynch, yeah. Um, you know, for whatever reason, he's the first person that springs to mind. Maybe because okay. he's, like, just such a, like, he seems like such a chill guy. It's, like, nice to meet, a, like, meet or hear of a guy who takes pictures of naked women who doesn't end up being like a Terry Richardson. Right, yeah, and that is kind of the thing that I'm I'm thinking of when I'm I'm you know watching the Ted Michaels documentary and you know reading about Tana, and it is like all these people are you know they're they're unconventional weirdos because it isn't just like, you know, Ted and Tura, but like, you know, John Waters, Vincent Price, you know, people of that ilk. 
it is refreshing that there are strange people, you know, out there who are like mm-hmm. this. You know, David Lynch. Uh, it 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 is unfortunate that sometimes that you know there's some trauma or something that makes them that way. But like, you need not necessarily have that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we we're talking about you know in the prior episode about you know you can have like good art that is you know arresting and strange and not have to be a creep about it. David Lynch, you pointed to being a great example of it. Mm-hmm. So exactly, yeah. So I mean, it is. It's refreshing that there are, you know, these these characters, like these real life characters, who are making this kind of outsider art. It's just unfortunate that like the overlap between like what is what makes for like a legitimate, you know, creative, you know, butts and seats kind of filmmaker, versus like what is also like you know human garbage who also happens to make good movies. It's unfortunate <laughs> that like the two of them can't really be disentangled. I mean, I'm sure they could, you know, with stronger moral fortitude, but a lot of the time it's it's tough to kind of, you know, pick out, mm-hmm. you know, the, the wheat from the chaff. Well, at the same time, um, without, you know, without kind of um, going to the extreme that, oh, well, you know, it's good that uh, people have a bad time in life because then they'll, then they'll make great art. Like, first of all, it's like not necessarily true. A lot of people never get to reach their full potential as a person, let alone artistically, because they have such difficult lives. It's like people people make Yeah, great... it kinda of romanticizes suffering. It's kind it's, of Exactly. Yeah. And you know, people often make great art about terrible things like in spite of everything they've been through rather than instead of it. I will say that I am grateful to anyone who can reach down within themselves and kind of be that vulnerable on the screen. Such mm-hmm. that a lot of times you will either, if you don't, even if you don't recognize yourself in that person, you'll see a side of life that you might not normally see. And yeah, I think it, it are, puts a voice to something. Yeah, and I think these these things are important because you know if you and especially if you look at the you know kind of the the realm of that you know Ted Michaels and others like him were were working in, um, you know this kind of uh, grotty, grimy, uh, you know, exploitation cinema, which ran parallel to the very, um, the very sanitized and expensive product being put out by Hollywood. It's like these, um, you know, thank God for the underground, because yeah, it's you know, it's a good counter, a counterculture, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> because otherwise, like, what you know, what else do we have? I mean, it's kind of like why. You know, nowadays... Um, yeah, you just have so- that kind of standard middle-of-the-road, just, like, crowd-pleasing fare that just really doesn't push the envelope. Yeah, and, you know, that's kind of why, drive like, culture. these days, like, I go so hard on, like, Disney and Marvel in spite of sometimes enjoying product from those companies. It's just that it's like, if we're not careful, these companies will eat the world. And right. all we're going to get is sanitized Disney crap. And I don't mean like Yeah, it's like that... once you round off all the corners, it's like, oh, we've made like the perfect, you know, inoffensive product and we're just going to churn that out indefinitely. And that's kind of something that, you know, I wrestled with in like, you know, the the 2010s-ish, you know, when, um, you know, Red Letter Media was still new and they were talking about you know, sort of this, you know, degenerate culture in that, it, I think it was their Star Trek review where it's just, there's a point where, you know, culture kind of starts eating itself where mm-hmm. everything is just like a, a reference to something that 
came before, partly because it's so hard in like a media saturated environment to get a toehold, like to create any kind of new property. Like it's rare when any anything like that really jumps out at you and you know it has any kind of staying power. So in order to counteract that, they're like, well, let's just dig through the back catalog and just keep regurgitating the stuff that people are already familiar with. The irony is that it is these outcasts and these sort of unconventional characters that are so different that they make a strong impression. I mean, you know, Teresa Tana didn't have a successful film career, but here we are talking about her, you know, Mm -hmm. decades after, you know, her debut. It's because she was so different and fresh and, you know, arresting and intimidating uh, (laughs) that, that, yeah, you still remember her. And it wasn't something that was like planned this way. It was just this unusual character that just sort of, you know, entered the zeitgeist. Yeah, because these, um, you know, the kind of ideas which, like, seize our imaginations are often ones that are, that are deviant from the mainstream, like something really unique, but which really touches a chord. And you're, yeah. not, you're not really going to get that from mainstream sources because these are, you know, these are very risk-averse companies because they put so much money into their product they really don't want to take a chance on something that they don't think will won't appeal to like the most people possible. Yeah, or even like how we're talking about you know uh, Tura's you know problem or traumatic upbringing. It's like, would you want to present something like that in a film? Like you know, people are going to be you know put off by that. They're going to be upset by that, which is why a lot of the problems that you see are you know in film. Uh, a lot of the. Um, uh, uh, problems that the characters are facing you know are are fairly abstract this is kind of you know what it's getting to in our um antichrist discussion is that you know a lot of the you know female uh roles are sort of this uh you know woman coded archetype of a character that is sort of orthogonal to i want to say like an actual you know woman's lived experience Mm -hmm. like and, and it's those things that do touch on you know like honest, true, uh, you know, experiences that people can relate to. Like those are the things that really matter. Otherwise, you get this sort of like, you know, warmed over generic notion of you know overcoming adversity and just you know trying your best and you know friendship is magic and you know, you know, whatever. Just like <laughs> friendship is magic. Go shoot up your workplace. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, shoot up. Yeah, and obviously that message didn't take hold, did it? It's almost like a mass media is actually a very poor forum for like uh disseminating moral lessons right well when it's when it's something that is kind of that generic to appeal to the widest amount of people yeah you're gonna you're gonna lose some of that punch because it doesn't it can't actually be about a thing it has to be about like the abstract version of of the thing it has to be like Mm -hmm. a general vague idea that you can just sort of make your own impression on like it can't actually be you know directing social issues in a way that is meaningful or may you know maybe moves the needle in some way because then you know people are going to push back on that they're going to you know they're going to be those people who disagree with it and you know those those it's like what you know bigots money you know spends just as well as progressives like you know mm-hmm. we're, we're losing out on that valuable bigot market if we try and don't try and alienate them Wow, 40 minutes in, and we have not talked about the movie. No, no, next episode, yeah, we'll get to Astro Zombies. Don't worry about it. (laughs)
Well, um, yeah, because like I said, like Astro Zombies <clears throat> is really just the jumping off point for a lot of the characters involved in the making of this. You know, John Carradine, you know, he's this legend who's been around since, you know, Methuselah was a little kid. Um, you know, Ted V. Michaels, who you know, has directed Trash for, you know, 40 years. Um, you know, Ter- Ter- Satana, who you know, is an iconic uh, burlesque character. And, um... Oh, well... Yeah, oh, and, had... the, and the guy who played Buzz in Girl in Gold Booth. Thank Oops. you. I was yes. going to mention Tom Pace. Um, okay. The mysterious Tom Pace. It's impossible to find any fucking information on this guy. Yeah, talk um, about someone who does not make an impression. Like, he's the counter-argument to everything. Good God, saying yeah. Um, it, you know, it isn't like... It isn't like he doesn't have, like, an on-screen personality. It's just that it's so... It's just like, yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Icky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is the thing which really gets me about Astro Zombies, and which I have mentioned to Tim like a mm-hmm. hundred times. Um, Tom Pace plays uh, Doctor uh, Doctor Eric Porter of. He does indeter- not read as a doctor. <laughs> no. Uh, indeterminate yeah. car accent. salesman, maybe. Yeah. Um. There are some parts in the movie where he speaks with some kind of bizarre accent, and then other, you know, the rest of the time he just sounds like, you know, Buzz from Girl in Gold Boots. Yeah, um, I don't know. It, yeah, it's like a Montana Hawaiian accent. I don't know. Yeah, but he's he's part of this deep state project to like, you know, shoot radio frequencies at brains and make them jiggle. Um, yeah, it's it's how you like. It's thought transference. It's how you can like copy a brain over using AM radio. Yeah, again, this is this is very Cold War like MK Ultra type shit too. Yeah. You know, because like this, you know, the the government really wanted like you know, um, easily brainwashable like Manchurian candidates. Uh, they were really into like mind control and all the other bullshit. Um, yeah, this... but I mean, this isn't MK Ultra. This is more like JK LOL Ultra. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, like the 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 experiments in this movie seem almost quaint compared to what actually happened during MK yeah, Ultra. Yeah, yeah, they weren't getting people, uh, you know, tripping on acid and pushing them out of windows. There. Yeah, but um, as I was saying about Doctor Doctor Eric Porter, um, mm-hmm. he is also dating the former lab assistant uh, to John Carradine's character, Doctor DeMarco. Yeah. Who. Is, is way out of his league. Let's just oh, say my, it. Oh, like, yeah, that's the thing, is I cannot convey to you listeners how far above his weight this guy is punching by dating this woman. I, I guess it's just being a doctor that does it. I, I mean, who else is she going to date in the lab? I mean, her her sexy girl colleague gets killed by the Astro Zombies, so that's out. Well, it was the mid-60s. I mean, it's amazing that she even had a job. <laughs> I mean, I mean it was, it was gonna... a nurse, waitress, or lab assistant. Yeah, and she was going to be a lab assistant until she got married. So. Yeah, yes, that was the plan. Oh, God, is she, is she going to be Mrs. Mrs. Dr. Porter? That's horrible. That's yep. horrible. Yeah, you work in a lab, meet a nice doctor. Pro tip, ladies. Oh, God. Yeah, and this, um, I can't remember the actress's name. I, I want to look her. I, I, I want to give her a shout out because, you know, she's very cute. Yeah, I want to look up, too, on Bing. (laughs) With Safe Search off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Joan Patrick. Okay. Uh, She was... I I, I literally think that um, Astro Zombies was her last film. (laughs) 
<laughs> I would stop being in movies after that point too. Yeah. Oh hey, she uh, she was a guest on Get Smart. I love Get Smart. Oh, great. Anyone else fuck with that show? That was my favorite show when I was like thirteen. Um, the movie with uh, Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway is actually pretty funny too. Uh, at any rate, um, yeah, she had some some minor roles, mostly in television. This is a very maybe she met a nice doctor and just hung it up. You know, I won't swear, but I think Ted Michaels worked on Agent for Harm. Yeah, as a cinematographer, uncredited. Yes, okay, thank you. Thank you. And and believe me, I would not want to take credit for Agent for Harm either. You know, this is a um and that's kind of something I want to say like not and it's it's going to sound like I'm unfairly maligning this actress. Like she's just working the way like any actor would. Um mm-hmm. but this is a very like TV ass kind of movie. <laughs> it's not like a <laughs> I mean, cuz did you notice that about Agent Agent from Harm? Is it just feels like a fucking shitty TV pilot? Yes, yes, a shot in a weekend. Yeah, like, you know, shot quickly, you know, really kind of TV-ass lighting, um, really stodgy kind of TV staging, like nothing nothing particularly cinematic. Yeah, workman-like, you know, sort of yeah. a, a Ron Howard-esque quality, if you might say. <laughs> I see we, we got you on board the, the Ron Howard maligning boat. No, I'm just saying this is you. This is, I'm putting words in your mouth. Um, I did do a poll on the podcast account, maybe a few of you saw it, in which um, I asked our followers to vote on whether Ron Howard was a hack, a master, or other, uh, please show your work. Um, the hack option won out. <laughs> how, by Although, how much, though? Uh, like, by a vast percentage. <laughs> but I think hack is, hack is harsh no yeah i, mean, I, hack, I actually like agree michael with you. bay is hack would you I, put i i i agree with you um i a lot of uh our very wonderful um followers and listeners on twitter um gave some very cogent explanations of you know why they voted well we do have some really smart listeners i mean what can you say yeah and some stupid ones but um the smart ones gave some very good reasons for you know why you know howard isn't necessarily in the pantheon of you know your 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 Kubricks or you know even your Spielbergs because you know you can say what you want about Spielberg's movies but he's indisputably a master of the form, um, right? I and you know mostly at this point it's just it's funny to say Ron Howard is a hack just because like I offended Tim, um, so you know that's why I'm kind of like hammering on it. Um, I. Hey, like I was kinder to Willow than Tim was, so I'm not like, oh, Ron Howard's piece of shit. Fuck that guy. It's just that he's made some, you know. It's got that know, Lucas stink all over it. That's the problem with Willow. I am going to strap you to a chair and force you to watch Far and watch Away. Watch a beautiful mind. Oh, okay. Far and Away. Far and Away. What is are the last the... movies to be made in 70 millimeter? Oh, is that the? Tom Cruise, um, Nicole Kidman vehicle. Yes. I've seen Far and Away. I'm going to make you watch that. I'm going to make you watch The Alamo. I'm going to make you watch Hillbilly Elegy. You can't make me watch stuff that's popular, let alone those movies. (laughs) I can't make you do anything, Tim. We all know that. That's true. Yes. I am a rock. Inert. (laughs) Tim is a rock. Tim is an island. Yes. Neither of those things accomplish very much either. He doesn't move a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm very, um, <laughs> very sandy, <laughs> very abrasive. 
But um, you know, enough Very about salty. No, about Opie. I don't want to shit on the guy. Yeah. He's he's carved out his career. Um, he appears to treat. Yeah, he's people... gonna stop listening to our podcast. He... <laughs> you know, you're never gonna get to fuck Bryce at this rate. I'm sorry, Tim. Ah, Jen, you're ruining it for me again. <laughs> his thick daughter. Yes. God damn, that woman has got a big ass. <laughs> Easy, Pacino. <laughs> Bryce Dallas Howard. She's got a great ass. <laughs> All right. Um, Steady. <laughs> respect to Bryce. You know, respect right. to Bryce and to Ron. You know, she did. She fucking worked with Lars von Trier. Um, you know, Ron Howard see, appears to treat people well, which is a rarity in Hollywood. Um, yeah, like was... there aren't like angry voicemails from her to Ron, like showing up on Twitter or anything. Like it's pretty low key. Yeah, no, he's like kind of on the on the opposite side of the spectrum from like you know Scott Rudin. Um, right. Speaking of the freak of the week, but um, Astro Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> Just a movie that refuses to make an impression on us, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So well, yeah, like you, they're um. You've got he, John Carradine as swarthy lab assistant. Yeah, who was uh, also who was like the the creepy guy in um <laughs> that doesn't narrow it down the creepy mm. guy in Girl in Gold Boots. Oh, the yeah, the oily guy. Yeah, one of the oily guys. One is very. That's how you know they're they're bad. One of the oleaginous gangsters from Girl in Gold Boots. Right. Yeah. Well, it's um, good. He, you know, he's got a stable of actors that he likes working with. Yeah. Well, does. this is another case where, you know, if you watch enough of these garbage movies, you start to see all the connections. Yeah. And then like your brains start running out of your ears. Yeah. Like, it's you just know, like, you what got, am I doing with my life? You know, like you realize like, oh, like the reason Wendell Corey is in this movie is because he also worked on Agent for Harm. Yeah. God, he, and- he was hammered when they made this. Absolutely. <laughs> the slurring his words like I am when I try to say Tura Satana. You know what's funny about Tura Satana is that I assumed it was a, a pseudonym. Yeah. But uh, apparently uh, she was born Tura Luna Pascual Yamaguchi. Mm-hmm. And she married a guy named John Satana. <laughs> yeah, it's... That's, you know, that's the beauty of when you're combining different cultures. You get something, you know, really iconic out of it. Um, yeah, yeah, married to him for like nine months. Yeah, <laughs> and it was a, it was an arranged marriage, which I guess was worked out when she was 13. Uh-huh, yeah, that's which, good age. That's, that's chill. She seems like she had a really chill childhood is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I would have a hair trigger too if I had her upbringing. Now, I know I keep um I keep. Then avoiding... you don't have an excuse. <laughs> Um, yeah. I keep avoiding the movie and talking about Tura Satana because she's so fucking interesting. But um, right, there's... she's kind of a like they mentioned in the documentary. She's kind of a, a Terry and the Pirates esque dragon lady, and I am also a fan of Terry and the Pirates and Milton Kniff and his entire art style. Like yes, I love that whole genre. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, and you know, kind of in that same vein. Um. There is a story that, and you know, as we mentioned, she was um, sexually assaulted at a very young age by a, a gang of attackers, and she told the story that um, you know she learned martial arts and then proceeded to, when she was older, track each one of them down and exact some form of revenge. 
You think Ted Michaels was like scribbling that story down as she told it to him? I, you know, it, the Astro Zombies apparently was written for her. You know, which you know why she's got this uh, part as the female spy. You can see why. You know, if you were to know this woman, you can see why you would write that kind of a part for her. And I'm like, God, you know, Ted, this is the best you can do for this woman. <laughs> I mean, I, he is he is passionate about what he does, whether he's skilled or not. Isn't yeah. what we're talking about. I mean, yeah, no, no, no disrespect to Ted. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm giving him the Ron Howard treatment. I'm just giving him shit. All right. You right. Know, well, like... that's the thing. Yeah. Like Ted, <laughs> Ted may not be rich in, you know, material wealth, but he has led a rich life. I mean, you, yes, you could, you know, go mainstream. You could, you know, go, you know, be one of those hack sellouts like Ron Howard. Um, but I mean, you know, the guy lived in a castle with seven women and made, you know, a, a bevy of trashy movies and basically got to kind of live on his terms. I mean, exactly. yeah, it was a constant scrabble, like, you know, putting up, you know, his fourth mortgage so that he could make the corpse grinders or something. Yes. But the guy's, the guy's I mean, a fucking pimp. Respect. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, put together, it's like the guy's living on his own terms and it's like, you know, really can't ask much more than that. I mean, other yeah. than being fabulously wealthy, but if it were one or the other, you know, being fabulously wealthy is pretty boring in, you know, in comparison. Like, we aren't talking about people who, you know, work a nine-to-five job and, you know, own a house in, you know, uh, Bay Area or something. In well, and that's Valley. also like, the thing. Cares? Like, cares? you know, what happens when you get fabulously wealthy? Like, you could be a George Lucas and be like, well, I'm going to make the prequels the way that I want to make them independently. Right. Or just the notion of, like, oh, finally I can stop working. Like... No, like this is like this is work life balance. You have a career of things that you're actually like passionate about. I mean, that's the the thing that I took away from uh if, if I you know had any sort of creative advice that I gleaned from the Ted V Michaels documentary is, you know, he's he's writing these movies that are predominantly about these, you know, badass dangerous women and, you know, it's no mystery, like write what gets you off. Like, yeah. you know, just ask yourself like is this a movie I would want to see? And if it's something that you're, you know, that gets you excited, that, you know, if you sit down to write the screenplay and you're like, it's a boring fucking screenplay. It's like, now I'm just going to put in, you know, a, a big titty, you know, hostile bitch. And like, and then she does stuff. She does things that I think are cool and interesting. And like, that's what I hang my movie on. Like that kind of passion. I mean, whether the audiences respond to it or not, it's like, you know, you, 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 sh you shot your shot. You did the thing that, mattered to you that you thought was worth committing to celluloid you know follow your bliss and you know on the one hand you can be uh ted v michaels or you could rise as high as a quentin tarantino or a rob zombie doing the same thing right that kind of <laughs> undercuts my point but <laughs> um yeah well no, I, you know, like, you, you can't say you didn't try, you know, you didn't do what felt authentic to you. Maybe I that's mean, you know, Quentin is Quentin is making the kind of movies that he wants to make, you know, respect for that. I guess I guess Rob Zombie's doing the same thing. OK, Just, yeah. You know, yeah. Good for right. you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Robert the zombie. <laughs> Robert T. Zombie. Yep. A really cannot... cool car going really fast. Oh, by the way, the car's from hell. <laughs> I I can't get over what Devil's Rejects. They used the entirety of Freebird. 
at the end. Like the entire fucking song. We should just do a video of you getting mad at the end of Devil's Rejects. And I yeah, and I know I've said it before, but it's like it's it's presented as like some kind of tragedy. It's like we just had a, a simple, honest dream of killing strangers. <laughs> I got so mad the other day. I was on Tubi and I was like, oh, Halloween 2. Like, I should watch that because I haven't yet. And I added it and then I noticed that it was the Rob, Rob Zombie Halloween 2. The wrong zombie. <laughs> um, But speaking of wrong zombies. <laughs> Astro, Astro zombies. zombies. Oh, are we still talking about that piece of shit? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, third, third try. Let's talk about this movie. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Uh, All right. <laughs> Get ready, bitch. Um, oh God, I don't even know. Like, okay, so there's a secret government project to, um, beam thoughts into people's heads. Um, Yeah, so you can just, like, make a copy of a person's, like, mind in an artificial person. It's, you know, two for one. You can make, it's like a cyborg clone. Right, and so, um, Dr. DeMarco, um, the- (laughs) Not Dr. Demento, he does- a completely different kind of mad science. Um, Don Juan DeMarco, uh, played yes. by John Carradine. <laughs> Don, um, Dr. Don Juan DeMarco. Um, he Where, was, Weird Al got to start. I guess the premise is that he was working for NASA? If you say so. He it doesn't working, matter. It says he was... They say he was working for the space program, and then he got fired. And... So right, now yeah. he's for showing up to work sober. <laughs> it just wasn't a good fit with the company culture. So, um, they, well, you know, they fired him because he said, like, oh, like a, a reusable shuttle to repeatedly go up to space and back. That's a terrible idea. That's just going to end in disaster. And so they fired him. Um, yeah. <laughs> he was like, you realize we've hired a lot of Nazis. And I mean, like, actual <laughs> Nazis. I mean, I know, yeah, a rocket program that's important. I'm just saying, there's a lot of Nazis working here. He got into a fist fight with Werner von Braun. <laughs> Get away from me, you Nazi! I, I fought, I fought people like you. I fought the <laughs> I fought Kaiser. Your grandfather. Yeah. Um, so he got fired, and so he took his um. I, I guess he lost his hot assistant, and. Mm-hmm. Picked up his mute ago. assistant, and uh, they started um, murdering people to use their bodies to turn into quasi men, um, which aka I mean, astro zombies. Yeah, like it. It seems like this, they're adding an extra step here. Yeah. I, like I said, <laughs> it, we, I stopped trying to understand the plot ten minutes. Look, ago. we we kill the person with the the zombie, then we get a free zombie out of it. <laughs> Which I don't know, it just sounds like extra steps. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean they're doing pretty well with it because um, you know once uh Tara Satana's people get wind of this, she's like, oh man, like my government has to have this uh this yeah. technology because the it's government. so fucking cool. Right. Yeah, and effective and reliable and stable. Um, the other thing too that I think is interesting is that I don't know whether the because. Apparently, like, the process of, you know, implanting a mind, you know, from one body into another via, you know, a 10-cent um, capacitor, uh, yeah, apparently, you know, works reliably enough. The problem is, like, 
you know, sometimes they don't like, you know, flush the brain properly. And this is, uh, yeah. I, you know, we'll talk about this in more in more depth later. But this is also a plot point in um, the Lex, uh, you know, canon for Lex TV series is that, you know, they their copy, you know, his divine shadows, you know, soul or whatever you want to call it from body to body. The problem is they're using, you know, death row inmates for it, and sometimes they don't like clear out the death row inmates' brain before putting his divine shadow into it. So you kind of get his divine shadow plus a psychopath. And then they do this like, you know, 10 or 30 times. And so you end up with like a crazy divine shadow. Man, all the Lex heads in the audience just came in their pants. They're all so the, excited all, for this episode. All, now all the Lex heads are like, yeah, we know. They established that in like the first episode. <laughs> Why are you telling us this? Yeah, so... Yeah, so he makes a, an imperfect copy of, you know, this this perfect man robot, which then goes out and just starts killing people. That'll happen. Yeah. I, I, it's weird that it happens so consistently, though. Well, you know, I mean, like, Mary Shelley it, told us this, and yet people continue to do it. Right, yeah, yeah, I guess I should have known. Um, <laughs> so, what else? Yeah, so, so yeah, so he's got this, this crummy thing which i mean this this crummy robot zombie that's just like you know you could have avoided this by not doing it and anyway so trisitana and her buddies you know juan being like super creepy and i get him constantly confused with the cat from red dwarf like he has the same dress sense he has the same like savoir faire there this, is a powerful this, resemblance yes he's got you know big cat energy coming he off was, this guy he was also an agent for harm Oh, okay. Well, you know, whatever. I mean, he's not Danny John Jules because these two pieces of media are separated by about 30 years, but I keep getting them confused. Uh, audience, you can skip ahead. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Tim. Keep riffing. No, no. It's, it's, Come on, so man. Off, riff. We're so off track of Astro Zombies. Like, you can't even stay on the point. I mean, we're talking about everything that is Astro Zombies adjacent. Well, yeah, because uh, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but the movie is garbage. Right. Yeah. Um. So Franco has like his side project of keeping a mewling woman in a leopard bikini strapped to a gurney. I don't know what he does with her. I don't think it matters in the movie. Which Franco being the mute, uh, the mute. Yeah. The 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 Igor, you know, to uh to John Carradine's uh, Doctor Frankenstein, who, I mean, by it's... the way. Is who the monster is named after. In case you didn't know that. Close reading, hello. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. <laughs> just just want to get caught up on Pete Entry from twenty years ago. Good. <laughs> yes. So um there yeah, this shadow government agency that's tracking um Tursitana's character and her goons. I guess they hang out at, you know, this um Club, I, yeah, it's they. Not, um, it's not a strip club, even though there is stripping done there. But I wouldn't categorize pretty, it as that. They lean pretty heavily on nightclubs in this movie. Yeah, and like she, like her, her, uh, her, her uh, cohort is just like a, a perfect assemblage of you know Axis powers. You have like you know the the Russian enforcer and like the the German spy who brought her the information about Doctor De De whatever, John Carradine, and, you know, she herself being Asian, and then, 
uh, Juan, who I guess, you know, he's just, he's ethnic. So, you know, already that's a red flag. Maybe he's from Cuba. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, They're he's from the red communists. zone. Yeah, the red zone Cuba. There are Castro zombies. Yeah. <laughs> Damn you, Jen. <laughs> so it's basically, it's, it's four ethnicities against like the white guys. Because you notice that everyone who works in the lab is just a white guy. A drunken white guy in some cases. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they really, mean, this really is like, uh, God, yeah. 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 Sharks versus jets. <laughs> so yeah, but anyway, they're like the the all white, you know, NSA brigade is spying on you know Teresa Tanner and her crew. Um, oh, by the way, af- I like that her name is just Satana. Yes. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> That's literally her name, the name of her character. Yeah, it's yeah. It would be ridiculous if it weren't true. Ted Michaels wrote this in like a day. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, he had other shit to do. Yeah, he had to fuck all these women in his yeah, house. He had to make dinner for seven people. <laughs> <laughs> he had to make dinner for seventeen, and then like you know, eat a bunch of pussy. Like yeah, yeah. It's a busy and, guy. You know, yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm sure Turd taught him how to do it. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, so where were we in this fucking movie? Um, well, where's the um? Uh, oh, that's... I'm trying to get to like why um. So there, there's the NSA guys eavesdropping on her, you know, the young fresh fellows, um, kind of putting so much change into the MST swear jar for this episode. Um, but then like they, the NSA guys get intercepted, and then you know Satana and her crew like you know torture him a bit to see who he works for, then they shoot him. And throw him in in a pool. No, no, that's another guy who also gets shot in a pool. But here's where things get weird because was this just shot in like the apartment complex that Ted V. Michaels was living in at the time? Because like yeah. there's a there's an underground parking, there's an apartment, there's a pool. Like this has you know this has all the trappings of just like some apartment building where they shot at. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, those were like really depressing 60s era Los Angeles apartment buildings that are still around. Yeah. The crappy apartments, if you will. (laughs) Yeah, so to speak. Yeah, so there's just a pool there and they, you know, got to use the pool. So, you know, good for them. Wait, I thought the guy, there was one guy who got hit by a car. Was that the German guy? Well, they they run him over outside the club because they're just like, well, we already got you know, the information from him, and he's kind of a jerk to us, so just, yeah, run him over. Oh, yeah, because... We don't need anything more from him. Because he tried to squeeze them for more money. Yeah. Which pissed off Satana so much that she threw a drink in his face. Right. I mean, it's a club soda, so whatever. (laughs) I I feel like this is a woman who threw a lot of drinks. Yeah, that wasn't even in the script. If you were lucky, it would be a drink. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so... I don't know where the German got the recording or why the recording is even important, but yeah, you know, she's again, listening like, to it in her room later. Radio frequencies, uh, reel-to-reel tape. Mm-hmm. It was all very high-tech, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like, really, you know, you get, like, really sick hi-fi. Uh, you get, yeah, you, uh, you wired the apartment for quad. You get a really top-notch turntable. Yeah. Well, you know, it was like those uh, flip phones they had in the Matrix, you know? quaint now but at the time it was like we're gonna get a phone like that those are so sick right yeah you press a button and the you know receiver pops out mm-hmm. that's great and you can't access twitter on it that's another bonus even yeah that's a good feature <laughs> but um 
so yeah, so they're at this nightclub, and you know, Buzz and his other you know alcoholic NSA um you know goofball buddy and his wife or girlfriend like they're watching the the titty show and they let me stress they could not be any less undercover than they yeah. are in this scene like if if you just scan the room and you're like you know who who here does not belong <laughs> and on top of it they're like loudly talking about how they're all in the CIA or whatever right so just yeah, you just Mark, Mark, right? yeah, and Mark's mm-hmm. girlfriend, just the three of them. Also, that um, that actor who uh, kind of plays the uh, what what happens to that guy? I feel like he disappears like partway through the movie. Uh, he was hanging out by the car while the two of them were waiting for um, uh, Buzz's girlfriend to get attacked by an astro zombie. Oh right, right, right. Well, um, that that guy was in. Um, I mean, uh. Wait, I, let me pull him up so I don't make an ass of myself. Okay. Yeah, um, that was an actor called Joseph Hoover who was also no relation. In, also in some really good movies. Like, uh, you know, again, he was in Stagecoach with John Carradine. He was in fucking Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Hell is for Heroes, like a very a very fun <laughs> war movie uh, with Steve McQueen and Bobby Darren that I quite enjoy. Um, you know, this was a... And I guess he needed the money. A real actor, yeah, did a lot of TV. Um, worked as late as 2014. I'll be damned. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Um, oh, he was also in T.J. Hooker. Good for him. Okay, but, so um, him being like a ra- a fairly mainstream working actor, that's why he's like a minor part at best in this movie. <laughs> like he makes well, a zero impression. Well, the camera is really held by the force of nature that is Tom Pace. <laughs> right. Dr. Porter. Yeah. We got the, I'm just going to call him Buzz. We got to get to Dr. DeMarco's laboratory. God, what is his deal? <laughs> uh, he's like a... <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's just... He's like, yeah, he's like a like a Frankie Valley also ran. <laughs> you know? Like a Frankie Valley stand-in. <laughs> and again, like his girlfriend is... So fucking far out of his league. Yeah. I just, I really cannot hammer on that point enough times. (laughs) Like, to the point where I almost get offended watching this movie. Because I'm like, what is this guy doing with this fucking dime? Yeah, for real. And, you know, then they just, and then they end up just making her bait for the Astro Zombies. Well, that's, it's like, um, you know, take a note from uh, Will Ferrell and the other guys. He treats her like garbage. You know, and that's that just appeals to her somehow. Just, you know, she has no self-confidence, so she'll never leave him. Yeah, like, you know, guys like that are lucky that, you know, so many women have criminally low self-esteem. Cause... Yeah, just just treat her like dirt. That's, the, that's the key. Do you think that's what Ted V. Michaels did? You know, splitting his attention among seven women? It's like, ah, fight, fight for my affection, my pretties. I mean, uh, you know, Tim, that doesn't happen in Hollywood. They don't they don't prey on on women who are desperate for some kind of asp- affirmation. Right. I mean, you you do want to mention the story of one of the uh actresses from uh what Ted Ted V Michaels Doll Squad, which was a precursor to Charlie's Angels, about how she auditioned for Charlie's Angels and the casting agent is like, "You're perfect for this role." I need you to do something for me. And she's like, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, Francine York is is yeah. the actress. And yeah, she says that um, 
you know, she turned him down and didn't get the part. <laughs> well, well, wonders never cease. Yeah. <laughs> I never would have believed it. That's, uh, that is unfortunate. Yeah. But, um, well, what can you do? Fucked up. Yeah, I don't know. Sick, yeah, sad yeah. world and all that. But, um, God, it, you know, it really sounds like we're accusing Ted Michaels of some shady shit. Right, yeah, I know. We kind of left from one thing to the other when we really don't have anything to back it up. I mean, you know, seven, you know, odd women or so, you know, at a time chose to live in this guy's castle. And he did, um, he did have a long, long time partner who I believe had the, uh, sobriquet Shakti. Yeah, um, she did seem to be a big part of his life. Yeah, so because um, not only were they partners in life, she was also in a lot of his other movies, including the many sequels to Astro Zombies, uh, which um, I'm just going to politely decline to. Right. Watch yeah. Those. Well, well, here, here, here's the the point I should have made to differentiate Ted V. Michaels versus this, you know, unnamed casting agent producer from uh, Charlie's Angels is like there are some guys who have that, you know, mm-hmm. they can they you know, be like. I have a castle, I make movies, let's hang out, and, you know, seven women at a time would be like, yes, I want to do this. And then there are other guys who are like, if you, you know, if you do this, I can cast you in a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of the the uh, the carrot and the stick, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Not to rely on symbolism or anything. Grasp my, grasp my carrot and stick. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you will get a part in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some people that, you know, they just don't have anything to offer. It's, what, you know, what they can withhold from you that matters. Do you think Tom Pace had to fuck somebody for this part? Uh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> why why would you cast Tom Pace in anything? <laughs> I mean, I would definitely want to break off a piece of that. <laughs> Maybe it was like, if you, ca- if you cast me, then I won't fuck you. <laughs> it was the other, other plan. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I also love how when um you know after he saves his girlfriend from the yeah. astro zombie attack like which is actually um the attacks are actually kind of harrowing in this movie. I I do have to hand it to the actresses because this their their yes, screams Yeah, it's like being attacked. Yeah, their their screams are like really like you know almost like agonized and guttural and like they genuinely seem terrified um (laughs) yeah and uh you know when um you know when uh dr porter's girlfriend gets i I think her name what's what the fuck is her name uh janine the attractive redhead or Mm -hmm. any of the other ones janine yes um joan patrick plays janine um very attractive woman um Mm -hmm. She gets attacked by the astro zombies, and uh, you know her boy, her you know gross boyfriend runs in to pull the thing off her, and she is just you know she's as a wreck. He, yeah, as he fights off the astro zombies, she's like you know like sobbing and and screaming and you know just like is <clears throat> reduced to just like a quivering mess. Like you know she's lying in the bed with her hands over her face, just like you know because she's just suffered this horrible attack, and you know after. You know, the Astro Zombie runs away or whatever. Her boyfriend runs over to her, you know, yelling at her, are you okay? And he's, like, grabbing her hands and forcing them away from her face. Yeah, it's like therapy by way of airplane. (laughs) (laughs) Like, pull yourself together. It's like, yeah, like, real light touch there, Dr. Porter. 
Hey, he's not a doctor of psychology. What do you want? He's also in. They also establish in the movie that their boyfriend girlfriend by having him come up to her in the in her, like her workplace and basically pinch her on the ass. Swinging sixties, man. Yeah, anything goes. Yeah. <laughs> Real cool guy. I'm sure they'll be very happy together. Right. Yeah. You know, once she gets over her uh, trauma of being assaulted by an astro man. By being assaulted by like a shambling corpse and then by her boyfriend. Right, right. Afterwards. Yeah, afterwards, she's going to demand that he puts on like the skull alien <laughs> mask. They kind of look like uh, Mexican wrestlers. Yeah, it's kind of a luchador, like gray alien sort of aesthetic. Yeah. But but the weird thing about it, and you know, this is, this is the physicist in me complaining that the Astro Man, like he's powered by like sunlight or moonlight, but at mm-hmm. some point he's powered by like a flashlight, which I mean, two D cell batteries. Like he's not gonna move across the room with that. Like he's no, not gonna take a step. No, no, no. It's one of those like tactical flashlights they advertise on like Fox News. I don't care like you know? how many lumens you know, <laughs> it puts out. Like the milliamp hours in that battery are not enough to keep that Astro Zombie upright for no, five you're right. minutes. It's kind of like how the, you know, it's like how the, the, the proton packs in Ghostbusters would actually, like, drain the power grid for an entire city if they were that bright or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's why, you know, it's an unregistered nuclear reactor. And that's why that movie sucks. Yeah. That was my big complaint about it when I went to go see it with Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> God, can you imagine watching Ghostbusters with him? Ugh. You know, like, then- uh, actually... And that is actually a question that I wanted to ask you when we talked about this movie, considering like yes. how much um, kind of like science gobbledygook there is in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it does bring up the question of how critical as a viewer one wants to be when watching, you know, anything with, you know, anything that takes on like a science fiction aspect. It's like, how critical do you want to be of the science of the world of the movie? Um, and you know they did not put any effort into it. That's the problem. (laughs) Yeah, and because in in the in the documentary, you know, Ted Michaels credits the guy who made the corpse grinder prop like the actual thing. But I'm like, uh, I hope they didn't have the same guy working on Astro Zombies. Yeah, it's like just you know a bunch of stuff that you had left over from the last time you went to Radio Shack, just kind of like hastily thrown together. Um. Yeah, it's like someone just <laughs> dumped out a, a craft, you know, like an arts and crafts drawer and, you know, in- included like the rulers in it. It's just like, yeah, just make make something science out of this. I don't know. One Take thing, that radio apart. One thing that did occur to me when, to I, was, when I was rewatching it, um, and this is very niche as are, you know, most of my, uh, you know, kind of reference points. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there's a part where I guess they have to do some kind of like exchange of... of uh, fluids my god that sounds terrible um yes the blood exchange sequence yeah they gotta which is protracted shall we say um (laughs) i guess they gotta drain the corpse's blood and then they gotta put in some kind of like astro zombie juice i don't know this is way past the point when i was paying attention yeah you tell me um but yeah so there's some kind of like desanguination going on or or perfusion if you will Mm -hmm. and Watching the scene of, um, you know, Carradine's, like, oily lab assistant, um, mm-hmm. kind of, like, 
extrude blood into these like plastic containers like you know no gloves or anything (laughs) just yeah you know it's just a water you know jug with like a hole cut in the side yeah and there's a point where um you know he's placed the hose in the jug and like it kind of starts spilling out and he very hastily like you know redirects the the flow of blood but um because he's a professional it makes me think of um the there was an outfit i think they're still around uh called alcor which specialized in cryonics um basically freezing people's bodies for yeah i'm listening (laughs) um basically they froze froze people for you know in the hopes that these people could be resurrected at some point in the future um and uh if you are a ghoul like me and you are interested in looking into this kind of thing if you look into their facilities it kind of looks like the lab in Astro Zombies. It's like kind of that. It's like someone's basement dungeon. Yeah, it's like sort of like that level of. I mean, it's not exactly like it because, like, I don't know. There maybe they were shooting in the basement of Ted Michael's house or something. Or yeah, it already basement. has like a medieval motif. That you yeah, just like can't there's there's around. brickwork. But um, yeah. you know, like if you if you um look into into any detail on like, these Cryonics people, it's like. Oh, none of these people are trained medical professionals, are they? And you know, it's like the the ding, equipment ding, ding. is like kind of secondhand and sort of dusty looking. There are like weird stains everywhere. Uh, like yeah, it's sort of like childish logic where it's like, oh, if I put these two things together, then they'll just you know magically work somehow. Right, and there's no like scientific rigor to it. And um, you know, I guess that's just the magic of Ray Dennis Steckler. <laughs> is that the magic? Is that what magic is? <laughs> By which I mean, like, that's just kind of what you get with these movies. Um, yeah, it's it, not about the science. Right. And it's, you're not going to get, um, well, and that's, well, and now I find myself thinking about, um, you know, if there really was, if there was like a B movie where there was that kind of attention to detail and it wasn't like a, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre situation where it's like a charnel house, but it was it was a place where you had like a mad scientist who was maybe like trying to be like a medical professional, you know, had like some training, but there was something like slightly off about the setup. Yeah, you know, it's like something from you know, say like a a gifted amateur. Yeah, where it was you know, it's like, well, you know, the doctor does wear gloves when he does blood exchange, but he was also eating an apple the whole time. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you know it's just something it, like it's, slightly it's, off. Well, you know, it's like the coroners who are, like, you know, eating a sandwich while they're, you know, taking apart a body. Just, you know, I got to work two jobs. <laughs> right. And, and I don't get a lunch break. I'm backlogged. All these corpses yeah. are rotting. I need to get to them. Or it was like um, there, was a, there was a show on, um, I want to say, Oxygen... Um, which is now like entire, almost entirely true crime. Um, hey, you know, give the viewers what they want. Yeah, which is about um, bitches love true crime. Yeah, what is with you? Which is... <laughs> um, well, let me tell you a story of my childhood. Um, there, There's a series which is about like, uh, you know, basically, I, I'm blanking on the name, but it's basically about like, uh, you know, medical professionals who do like terrible things, you know, like angel of death type nurses. Um you know, mm-hmm. people practicing medicine without a license. And there was, was one guy who was like a like a, a hippie type guy who was also like a, you know, like a sovereign citizen type who mm-hmm. ran a 
sort of medical practice out of a trailer in the Nevada desert. It, it sounds like he would be better suited to a film directing career. And he also performed many of his procedures while completely nude. Well, yeah, I mean, otherwise you're just going to stain your clothes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, ahead um, of himself. They, they did nab him, but he was a bitch and killed himself in prison, so. Did he do that naked, or? Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, you want to go out in the right way. <laughs> we are so far it, off you know? the point again. No, it's okay, so, Astro Zombies, where are we? We're about seven hours into the second act. Uh, <laughs> right, so, uh, so. Last Satan- year at Astro Zombies. Yeah, so. Satana and her uh, multi-ethnic gang um, eventually find, you know, Dr. DeMarco. You know, they burst in, um, you know, point a gun at him, and then, as Rift Tracks observed, you know, settle into a, a you know, chill conversational tone, um, talking about, you know, she, she wants the Astro Zombies, and he's like, no, you can't. They're all fucked up and don't work right. But she doesn't really care, and, you know, uh, the the assistant fights Juan. Um, Satana gets you know pushed into you know a um a power converter or something, a transformer, and you know she gets roasted and dies. Uh, some other shit happens. A noble um, death. Yeah. Um. Someone gets shot on the, on the lawn. The Astro Zombie uh, kills someone with a machete. Oh, yeah, those day for night shots are hilarious because it's like, I know that the way you do, um, you know, day for night is like you, you kind of like stop it down, right? So you're just letting in less light. So you kind of yeah. get like a night effect. But it's like they stopped it down way too far because you cannot see a fucking thing in these day for night scenes. Yeah, I mean, you want to stop it down and then you add like a blue tint. But also it helps too to like shoot on an overcast day because then otherwise you don't get like, you know, shadows everywhere like the sun casts. Yeah, you you'll get um, not that you have control over that, but right you because the big tell is like you know when you see like those like really hot highlights from the sun. Yeah. Um, you know, which is that you don't you not something you see like say on a moonlit night. No. Yeah. But yeah, I mean they 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 sort of knew what they were doing here, but yeah, these these scenes are murk. Yeah, so a bunch of shit happens. Uh, a lot of the shots don't cut together, and then you know we see uh, wind-up robots in someone's driveway, just bookending the movie. Oh yeah, which um, I I find the wind-up robots charming, if not entirely right for the pre and post-credit sequence. <laughs> I that's not what I would use for pre and post credits. No, I mean it's it's funny. Toys. Like, yeah. I, I laugh when I see them because they're so cute. They're just, like, little wind-up robots, like, shooting each other. What the hell are they doing? There's a tank in there. Never does a tank figure into the story. <laughs> they couldn't afford just a tank. Ted Michaels had a wind-up toy tank. Or, no, he sent a runner to be like, give me some wind-up toys. He said, and among hey, them was hey a babe, tank. can you go get me some wind-up toys? Yeah, thank you, sweet cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> and she was happy to do it. Yeah. I mean, that you know, is, just... you know. She's getting room and board. Yeah, that's the magic of Ted B. Michaels. Yeah, I mean, you know, they might be... Because, you know, I would have to consider that these are women who are living marginalized lifestyles, too. You know, just like that throwaway line from, um, you know, Boogie Nights, where it's like, oh, Jack says you live on the street. Where, right. Yeah, and I mean, you know, 
these are, you know, women trying to make it in Hollywood. Yeah. Where do they have to go, you know? No, and that's really true because, like, you know, a lot of Boogie Nights is about, um, you know, how the marginalized will form their own families. Right. You know, like, um, Roller Girl asks Amber Waves to be her mom. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you can kind of see how these, you know, people come together under these adverse conditions to, yeah. you know, form a collective. No, yeah. I mean, just look at, like, uh, the cohort around Ed Wood. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, where else are these people going to go? Yeah. And, you know, Hollywood is a is a harsh mistress. So, you know, sometimes you're better off living in some weird guy's castle. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be out of sort for a lot of these people. And no. not as harsh a mistress as Tana, I'm sure. Ooh, I would <laughs> never, I would not cross that woman. Right, yeah. I mean, and I, I mentioned it in passing, the, the possibly apocryphal story about her exacting revenge on her rapist. Now, that's it's a, a little too Ted V. Michaels, but no, it really, and that's the thing. It's uh, you know, and I'm far be it for me to to uh, you know, doubt a woman's lived experience. Um, I don't know that I entirely buy the story. <laughs> it's um, because it is like too neat. It is something like out of a movie, and um, you can understand like why the story exists because, you know, the the crime committed was so brutal that you, you know, you the mind cries out for some kind of justice. And um, the the way that Teresa told it is that she was attacked by these teenagers and um, one of them was related to a local cop and somebody got paid off. And so, you mm. know, there was no, there was no reckoning with any of the people who did this to her. And <clears throat> sad to say that story is incredibly common. Um, I, I don't remember the exact statistic about like how few rapists actually see the inside of courtroom, but it's it's incredibly low. Um, right. Well, yeah, something like the like you know closure rate for murder cases is like sixty two percent or something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like you can literally get away with murder. Like it's a coin toss. Right. And um and we all know how good cops are at their jobs. So <laughs> handing um, out traffic tickets or. Mm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> beating people of color protecting capital of course right yeah but uh, you know so as much as one wants to believe that Tura tracked down her attackers and I don't know like kicked their ass like at the end of Showgirls mm -hmm. um, I can't think of an ending more satisfying than that um, oh I know <laughs> uh, probably probably didn't happen i mean uh this is awful but it did occur to me it'd be funny if like you know she's like yeah i definitely got my revenge and like you know it just involved like leaving flaming dog poop on their doorstep or something right well you know hey looked at another way the best revenge is to live well and tur has left an indelible mark on film history so god damn that her. is so that is so much better than what i said tim that's why you have me on the show <laughs> Well, otherwise, I'd just be talking to myself. Yeah, how much fun would that be? Um, one of the other things, too, that I liked about this is, you know, in the, the Ted Michaels documentary, um, you know, one, one of the lessons I took away from it, you know, not, not just the stuff I said earlier about, you know, which who has the richer life, you know, this guy who's, you know, more just six ways from Sunday and only makes trash movies, but, you know, lives an enviable life. Um, the other point is uh, screenwriter for... 
one of his later movies, you know, just kind of you know was able to, you know, speak to him, you know, in conversation, just like, oh, can I have a shot writing a movie for you? Yeah. And you know, and Ted is just like, yeah, okay, sure, send me something. And you know, it's it seems like sometimes that's all there is to it. You know, eventually, you know, you just kind of put yourself out there. Eventually, someone says yes. And every time someone says no, you know, you just try again and you get better and you just iterate on that process. It's, you know, it's there's no harm in saying, oh, can I have a shot? And, you know, maybe you blow it and it turns out you're bad at it. You know, you dust yourself off and try again or, you know, maybe take a step further down the food chain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe you aren't, you know, writing movies for Ron Howard. You're writing movies for Ted V. Michaels. Um but, you know, eventually, you know, you find your way in and it's just through persistence, you know, as you continue to try, you get better. And as you, you know, put yourself out there more, eventually, you know, you find someone who is willing to, to stoop to your level and give you a chance. <laughs> and then you start a podcast. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know where that screenwriter went. Um, but uh, yeah, the other thing, my other takeaway from uh, the, you know, Ted V. Michaels uh, documentary is, you know, he should never have moved to video. Like, it, it, yeah. it loses all the mystique of everything that he's done before. That's really true, and I think I've I've talked about this on the show before, or maybe I haven't, I don't know, but I'll bore you all with it again, is how... Oh, here we go. <laughs> is, uh, well, Tim is perennial, perennially bored by me, so that's nothing new. I'm bored by everything. <laughs> <laughs> The the film era of trash is so charming. And I don't know what it is about video that just... I mean, apart from very idiosyncratic statements like a critical madness, uh-huh. there's just very little that's interesting about kind of shot on video garbage. Yeah, and I don't know if it's that... Um... If it's like if it's just the barrier to entry, or is that you know film adds like a certain um, you know gravitas or a certain um, you know veneer to to what's mm-hmm. going on? It seems like you can shoot garbage, but still, it being on film, it, it's it somehow you know gives it a, a bit of a leg up. It, it it elevates it just a little by the nature of the medium it's presented on, and I don't know why that is. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess that's why, you know, even with the the advent of very advanced uh, video for the purpose of feature filmmaking, people were still looking, they still wanted the film look. Yeah, or I mean, you know, maybe even to invoke Boogie Nights again, you know, maybe Jack was right, you know, about I will not shoot on video. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, you know, budget-mindedness to it where it does make sense. I mean, you know, porn is shot on video, plenty you know mm-hmm. predominantly and you know no one has a problem with that but if you know you're someone like jack who fancies himself a filmmaker then yeah you want to shoot on film because yeah for some reason when you know it you know it's uh you know it's it's dylan going electric uh, you know like but in reverse is ted going to you know from film to video and suddenly things that are you know these fun you know wacky gonzo niche movies Suddenly, they look like movies made by high school students, and I don't know why that is. Is it just that shooting on video makes everything so easy that you can afford to be sloppier with it? 
I really, I really don't know. I cannot put my finger on it. Yeah, because I mean, of what I saw from the documentary, just is so poorly made. Like it does remind me of stuff I made in high school, and like I can't, I can't resolve that. Like you know that his, uh, you know, filmmaking skills, you know, took a massive step down, just by nature of him shooting on video. Maybe it's video causes things to come through with more clarity so you can just see how garbage it is you know like <laughs> like the failed you know notion of shooting the hobbit movies and at you know 60 frames because you're suddenly like oh that's ian mckellen in in makeup Oof. holding a prop you suddenly don't go oh, that's gandalf anymore you know well and then but like where do you it's kind of like you just said like where do you separate it because it's like what if um the the first lord of the rings trilogy had been shot on like 60 frame a second video <sighs> I don't know. Like because I feel like those the the scripts were very strong in that case and like I was so put off by the first Hobbit movie um because it felt like a crude copy of the Lord of the Rings that you know I just never bothered to see the second two and it wasn't just like kind of like the sickly video quality it was just like this is just like th- this just feels like they're ripping off what they did before, like, just in a cruder way. It's like there are booger jokes in this. Well, I think we're talking, like, form versus content, because... Well, that yeah, and that's what I can't, like, I can't, like, separate. It's like if you, you know, if uh, Fellowship of the Ring had been, like, you know, in, like, that video format, would it have, would it have sucked? I don't know. We, we might have regarded them the same way we do the prequels. Ugh. Yeah, like, you know, a a substantial technical achievement that we just really don't like. Although, obviously, for different reasons. I mean, you know, the source material is, you know, light years beyond uh, the prequel dross, whatever you want to call that. So if, uh, if, if Lord of the Rings had been shot on video or, mm-hmm. um, you know, like high frame rate video, then uh, Gollum would have just turned out like Jar Jar Binks is what you're saying. I I think in one way or another, would it, he would have come to be regarded with the same uh, disrespect as befitting Jar Jar. Disgusting. Yeah. I mean, and, but this is, you know, that's just my theory, but that's why you listen to podcasts. It's for people you don't know holding forth on things they aren't educated in. <laughs> Join us next time. Well, um, Astro Zombies is, is very readily available. There's a oh, there's that's a... what we forgot to talk about. <laughs> there's a there's a Kino Lorber DVD and Blu-ray. So, um, and I will say that um, the transfer is very nice. <laughs> um, Why would you, know, you do that? Yeah, perhaps. I Yeah, similarly, I remember when I got an HD TV, and one of the rare HD channels had um, Troll Two. In high definition. I think that's when they're like getting the kinks worked out. <laughs> it, and it looked great. Yeah, yeah, they're like, yeah, I want something in high def, but like I don't want to, you know, go through all the licensing shit. Why don't just do, let's just do Troll 2. It looked so good. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I yep. think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, I'm fucking done. <laughs>